Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here. Good to be worshiping the Lord. Uh, Brandon and I had a little brief uh, uh, talk there, and um, uh, we were so busy praising God, we forgot to uh, run a, another video uh, about uh, the 4th of July. So we're just going to do that first before I do anything else. So here we go. to be able to um, uh, remind ourselves that all the good that is happening in our country is because of the hand of the Lord, and we want to uh, give him honor for that. So um, as we head into this uh, holiday uh, week or weekend, I don't, it's, it's, it almost seems like a long weekend, doesn't it? But not really for some of us. But anyway, But for those of you who are on vacation, what a gift, and I hope that you enjoy it. Well, let's, um, let's turn this morning to uh, the book of Exodus. We're reading uh, about the story of the Israelites, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 16. So Exodus chapter nine, uh, 16, Exodus chapter 16, verse 9, we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> and listen closely, this is uh, God's word for us today. We're uh, here in the presence of the Lord, and, and we... Uh, are, are here because uh, two or more of us are gathered in his name and he is speaking to us through his word. So uh, let's, let's listen closely. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, that is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is the day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left, and keep it until morning." So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That, it is, that is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one's to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. This is my favorite verse. And Omar is one-tenth of an ephah. <laughs> what a way to end! <laughs> wow. Friends, this is God's word for us today. This is. And it has the ring of truth, doesn't it? Who would end a story like that? Except if it was uh, really from the Lord? Really a person inspired writing what they felt God was calling them to write. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. It's uh, food for our souls. It tells us who we really are. It tells us who you really are. And it inspires us to walk in the way of truth, to follow you, to trust you. We pray that as we have read today and as we think about it, dig in a little bit, 
that you will teach us to trust and that you will encourage us to follow. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. Amen. Well, roadside barbecue is the name of my uh, sermon. And uh, have you ever been to a roadside barbecue? Oh, boy. They can be so good. I was uh, in Texas at a conference, and um, I, I don't remember what was for lunch, but my friend John, who's from Texas, said, let me take you to a real Texas barbecue. And so, you know, I was thinking of some big restaurant. Uh-uh. We drove, like, three miles out in the middle of nowhere and stopped at this shack on the side of the road. And it was, like, the best barbecue ever. It was amazing. It was just mouth-watering. It just... It was succulent. It was, it was amazing. I, I remember it. I do. <laughs> Roadside barbecue. That was a good road trip. Well, this summer we're looking at uh, road trips. We're exploring one of the greatest road trips of all time that the uh, Israelites took in their epic journey from slavery to freedom, from Egypt to Canaan, from the sea to the mountain, the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, and on to the promised land. And so two weeks ago on our first Sunday, we, we talked about how the fact that you find yourself in the wilderness does not mean that you took a wrong turn. Sometimes God leads us directly into the wilderness so that he can use that time in our lives to increase our faith and trust in him. And last week we looked at the fact that when God is moving us forward, it can be very dangerous to look behind that driving forward while looking in the rearview mirror is not smart. I want you to know I did this for a little bit once on a really straight, long highway out west. I was like, what would it be like if I just used my peripheral vision and I kind of looked in the rearview mirror and I did that for like 10 seconds. And I was like, this is really stupid. I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> Some of you are smarter than me. You didn't have to actually experiment to figure that out, but... Looking to the past and looking there with rose-colored glasses because we're scared of the future is a very dangerous thing to do. It causes our fear to increase. And the more fearful we are of the future, the more we're tempted to look back to the past and say, oh, remember, remember. And God very clearly teaches the Israelites, do not look in the rearview mirror. We are moving forward. Don't look back. Well, today we picked up in chapter 16 again, and they have been grumbling about the food situation. Now, in case you think that they're, you know, people who are eating roadside barbecue every day and, you know, they just don't like it anymore, uh, please remember that they left Egypt, and it says they're in the 15th day of the second month of being out from Egypt. Now, that's a, at, at the very least, that's 45 days, okay? It could be more, depending on when exactly they left. So all their food supplies that they brought are now officially dwindling or gone. And you know what happens when your food supply starts to go down? You start to, you know, sort of scrimp and you start to uh, be more careful and you ration it a little bit more. And uh, they've done all that. And now it's really gone. And it says that they turned on Moses and Aaron in anger 
and said, why'd you drag us out to this place instead of where we used to be back in the good old days of slavery? And I love how Moses tries to reason with them. This is a classic leader move. Hey, it's not us. It's God. You got a problem with God. And he's actually true. I mean, he's, he's 100% correct. They've just been obeying God. And really, the, the people do have a problem with God. And so God gives them this message through Moses. I, I want you to hear these words. I have heard your grumbling. Now, that should give us pause, don't you think? God knows everything. He hears everything. He sees everything. He sees when we're being faithful and when we're giving our best. But you know what? He hears the grumbling too. He does. It's not hidden from him. He's not, you know, oblivious to attitudes and Mm, statements that are made, if you know what I mean. I've heard your bad behavior, is what he's saying. That should be a scary thought. I've heard your lack of faith. I've heard what you really think about me. And so, in a perfect God way, he doesn't say, so I'm going to pound you. No. He says, so... I'm going to show you something. At twilight, you're going to eat meat. And in the morning, you're going to eat bread. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I don't know if you've ever looked at the map, but the, the peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula, is a barren place. There's no great place to grow any wheat. And even if they could grow it, they weren't going to be eating bread in the morning. It would take a long time. There's, I looked it up. There's like primarily ibex. Do you know what those things are? They're like mountain goats with really big horns. And um, leopards and a certain kind of mouse and snakes and lizards. That's primarily the fauna of the Sinai Peninsula. And he says, you're going to be eating meat and you're going to be eating bread. This is a crazy statement. He says, you're going to get food two times a day. You know, that's interesting to me. In the evening, you're going to get some meat. In the morning, you're going to get some bread. They're going to get fed literally two times a day. But, you know, that's two miracles a day. Two miracles a day. They're not just going to get food two times a day. They're going to get a miracle two times a day. They're going to get spiritually fed two times a day. And you know, that's not a bad pattern for us either. What would it be like to feed yourself a little spiritually two times a day? Wake up in the morning before you take off, just stop. Just turn the radio off or the television or whatever. Just pull your Bible out, read a psalm. Just feed yourself a little something. Before you go to bed at night, just feed yourself a little bit more. Two times a day, just like the Israelites, just like what God did for them. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Do you think, do you think they got the message? Two times a day, food miraculously shows up. 
I think that they probably sensed that when God said it, it was real. God sets up this system of daily needs and provision to remind them that he is the one who is supplying all of their needs. You know, sometimes God has to take us to the end of our resources before we are trust, uh, we are forced to trust in him. One of our great dangers in the world today for us who live in such an affluent society in such a beautiful place is that we can begin to honestly think that we're doing life on our own. I mean, it's totally delusional. It really is. But we can become convinced that I'm doing all right. I've kind of got this thing, you know, by the tail. We imagine that our hard work, our resourcefulness, our wisdom, our skills, our abilities, our talents are providing for our needs, when in reality, the very fact that we are breathing, that our hearts are pumping blood, that our brains are functioning, that our bodies are working, that the ground stays stable, that gravity continues to work, that the laws of physics are the same every single day, we just, we don't even think about that. It doesn't have to be that way. But that's what God provides because God provides everything. He provides the complete order to the universe. It's all a gift that God provides, including everything that's going on with you. And so when any of us are tempted to be like, you know, like my life is pretty good. You know, I think I got this. I think I can see what I'm doing, and it's just, it's, it's a trap. And, and God takes these Israelites out into the middle of the desert until everything is gone, and then says, you guys trust me? And they're like, grumble, 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 because we would be too, let me tell you. If all the supplies were gone... The Lord would be hearing our grumbling, I suspect. He takes them out there to teach them to trust him. That our daily needs and provisions are provided by him. I wonder how you're um, trusting God for provision in your life. What is it that you're worried about? Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're worried about it, you're wondering about the provision of God. And I encourage you, I'm preaching to myself here as much as anybody else. I encourage you, put it over to God and see how he will provide. We would do well to learn the lesson without having to be taken to the very end of our means in order to pay attention. That evening in the camp, quail came and covered the camp. Quail are these small little birds. Sometimes they're called partridge, that type of thing. They begin to move in the evening. And they flock in, and they come into the camp, and they settle down, and they're easy for the Israelites to grab. And those folks go out into the camp, and they start grabbing birds, and they're eating quail. Now, I've been to some pretty nice restaurants where they say, would you like a quail egg for a appetizer and I say I don't even know what that is <laughs> but sure I'll take it that'll be great these folks are eating quail every night they're barbecuing every night 
God provides birds to come and settle and be easily caught every night. That is not normal. That is a straight up miracle. Roadside barbecue. But what's interesting is that that's all we hear about the quail. In other passages in the Old Testament, it talks about the quail in numbers especially, but that's really all we hear about it now. The rest of the passage is focused on the manna, the uh, bread-like substance that shows up. I maybe should have entitled this sermon Roadside Bakery. It just didn't sound as cool. Roadside Bakery. Sounds kind of bogus. Anyway, okay. So, so we pick it up in 13. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And then a little later we hear, it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Straight up miracle. The stuff you find on your lawn you can eat. You know, that is not the stuff I find on my lawn. But what they found, they could eat. It was a bread-like substance. It appeared on the, mor- on the ground every morning. It, it tasted like wafers made with honey. You know what that is? Graham crackers. <laughs> These people got graham crackers every day. That's pretty awesome. You know, I used to look at that wafers and think, the only thing I thought about wafers, I used to, I used to, does anybody have Melba toast? Has anybody ever had Melba toast? My mom used to try to push that on me. I was like, I I went hiking in the Grand Canyon once when I was in college. And uh, one of the, one of the things they gave us for lunch was Melba toast wafers with cheese Whiz. And I want you to know, when you're like in the desert environment, it's like super hot, and then they pull out Melba toast with cheese Whiz. You're like, oh, I can't even. It's, it just makes you even more thirsty. It's terrible. Anyway, it wasn't Melba toast. It was graham crackers. And I love what they call it. What is it, they say? Well, you know what? The Hebrew for what is it is manna. They call it manna because manna means what is it. It's like you have some what is it this morning, like I did too. And, and, and you know, I mean, we, we might say whatchamacallit. That's really, that's what they called it. Whatchamacallit, what is it? That's the name because they didn't have another name for it. God, God provided for them on a daily basis. God provides for us on a daily basis. But God not only provided for them, he provided enough. Verse 17, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. So, They're using this measure in Omer, which in my Bible says it's about three pounds of it, for each person a day. And when they measured by the Omer, everyone had just as much as they needed. Now, you know what that means? 
people who were strong and who could get a whole bunch got more than their omer amount. And people who were weak or even couldn't even get out of bed, those folks, somebody had to get their omer for them. But when they spread it all out, everybody had just the amount they needed. Everyone had to work together. It was a communal thing. God was teaching them to play nice in the sandbox. It was kind of like a literal sandbox, you know, this giant <laughs> peninsula. They had been slaves for generations. They probably had that sort of immigrant mentality sometimes, which I saw in my, my great-grandparents. Uh, um, on my mom's side, the Kirschmans, they were extremely frugal because they didn't have very much at all. And so no matter what they had, they kept it, and they, they took care of it. I, I remember... My great-grandmother, we called her Granny, I remember her saving thread. And my mom saying, see what Granny's doing? She's saving the thread. And I'm like, it's a piece of thread! My little selfish 70s, 10-year-old-ness saying, it's thread, why are we saving thread? But Granny, she had lived through like terrible times. And for, she, she was frugal. She saved everything. And so these folks who have been in this slave condition for generations, this is like built into them generationally. The temptation would be, it's mine. I got it. I gathered it. I'm keeping it. And God intentionally puts them in a place where they have to help each other. They have to do it together. If they share, there's enough. If they don't share and they try to keep it for themselves, it goes bad. Isn't that beautiful? They share. They work together. I almost feel like I should break out with high school musical now. We're all in this together. Okay. That was for your millennials out there. I just threw that in there. I hated that. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. All right. God provides enough when they all look out for each other. So now, let me just... Stop anyone who's panicking here. I am not calling for communism or socialism. Those are failed systems from the 20th century, which ended up causing millions of people to die. It was bad. But this is a call to look out for the needs of all the people around us. God provides enough when we look out for each other. Wow. God provides enough when we look out for each other. We are far more in danger of turning our head away as we drive past the needs of our neighbor than we are of sharing everything in such a way that nobody is lacking. Yes, everyone needs to play their part. Yes, everyone needs to go out and gather the manna that God has supplied for them in their life. Everyone needs to take responsibility but it's our job to do this life together. So yes, make sure people are accountable and make sure everybody has enough to not hoard any for ourselves if there are others in genuine need. And we're capable of determining genuine need. Just put yourself in the other person's shoes and look at it from their perspective. And it's okay at times to say, I think you got this. You know, if you just work hard. But it's also really good to say, what are they facing that I may not even be aware of? However we do life together, we need to function 
with grace and compassion for others. So God provides and God provides enough if we do life together and share. And now we'll see another thought. God provides just enough for today. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. I love that, don't you? You, you know either who you are or who you're thinking of, right? Do it this way. Nah, not going to do it that way. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. That's just the dynamics of that. must have been fascinating to watch. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. When I, uh, when I was in seminary, you know I've said this before, that I used to work at McDonald's. And uh, I loved working at McDonald's because I got to hang out with all these uh, young kids who had never had a job before. And, and, uh, and it, was, it was fun. I, I actually ended up getting to witness to a lot of people there, but not in an annoying way, in a careful way. Anyway, it was a fun place to work. I enjoyed it. And I just want you to know that while I worked there, McDonald's incorporated what was called the just-in-time business model. Now, all you folks who are business people know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's the idea that whether it's your inventory or whether it's your training or whether it's your production or maybe other things, that whatever you need arrives just in time for it to be perfectly there, right at that moment. So you don't get French fries for like three weeks out. You, you get your French fries, and they come in, and you have just enough for today. And then that evening, another load comes in. you got just enough for tomorrow. It's just in time. And so you train people just what they need to know for this moment. Or you produce things. You say, well, it's going to be the rush, so we're going to produce a lot of burgers now. Or it's going to be less, so we'll produce less. But we have just enough so that when somebody comes to the window, we can hand them something fresh right at that moment. Everyone and everything arrives and is accomplished just in the time that is needed. Not too early, not too late. God is using just-in-time business theory here with the Israelites. He provides just enough for, the t- for today. Just enough for them to eat, but if they save it, it goes bad. He doesn't provide too little. Everyone's eating enough, and he doesn't provide too much. Everyone only has what they need for the day. And you know what? Sometimes it's that way in our lives with our finances. Sometimes it's that way with our emotional strength. Sometimes it's that way with our courage. When we trust in the Lord, he provides just what we need just in time. Now, frankly, it annoys me because I like to build things up. I, I would like to have more stuff available so I can say, well, at least I've got this over here and I can trust in that, right? But God doesn't do it that way. He's like, trust me, it'll come just in time. We've seen this every year in this church. We always get too low financially. But by the end of the year, just in time, it rolls in. I want to see this with the staff. I wish I had... Everything to tell you, two months ago, we were all set. We're not, but we will be just in time. God knows what he's doing. It's this way with life, too. God does not provide us the blueprint because he knows that we would just flat out ignore him 
and follow the blueprint if he gave us what we needed. And frankly, I and probably a few of you would look at the blueprint and say, oh, I'm not really sure I like it that way. Maybe I can manipulate it a little bit. You know, maybe I could change it a little bit to make it come out the way I'm more comfortable. God holds the keys to his storehouses. He unlocks what we need when we need it just in time, just at the right time. And the fact that he doesn't give it to us ahead of time forces us to trust. And, you know, every coach I ever had forced me to do many things that I did not find comfortable or happy, and yet I'm thankful for every single one of them. Every violin teacher or piano teacher, voice teacher I ever had forced me to do stuff, and I'm thankful for it because it helped me. It helped me be a better musician or player or whatever I was working on. God forces us to trust him by not giving us everything ahead of time. And I love the fact that when the sun gets hot, the rest of the manna melts away. (laughs) It's like, well, there's plenty out there. Oh, my goodness, it just melted. It's all gone. Man, I hope the quail show up tonight. And they did, continually, always. So God provides provides enough if we share. God provides enough just enough for each day. And finally, God uses this manna situation to reinforce one more lesson for these Israelites. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came, reported it to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow's the day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want. Uh, bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left. Keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you're to gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Now, I mean, really, it's like the miracle continues because this only happens six days a week. And the seventh day of the week, it doesn't. And everything that goes bad, if you try to keep it overnight six days a week, actually stays fresh for one night a week so you can eat it the next day. God must really care about the Sabbath. He must really care about this day off that they're supposed to take. Woven into the reality of this twice daily miracle, which they lived for 40 years When food arrives, as if by magic, every morning and every evening, woven into that reality is the reality that God says, stop. Take a Sabbath. Appreciate this gift I've given you. A day in which you wake up and you don't have to worry about the tasks on your to-do list. Now, I am not going to ask for a raising of hands, okay? I'm not doing it. But I just want you to think, when was the last time you woke up and you said, today, today's the day I don't have to do anything on my to-do list. I can just relax with God. Does that sound nice? Might I tempt you to follow God? What an awesome 
gift that he gives to us. To let the worries go. I know many Christians blow this off. I hear people say all the time, I don't need it. Or I can't afford to take that. I would argue that you can't afford not to take it. It is a matter not only of your psychological and physical and relational and spiritual well-being. All those things will be blessed as you take a Sabbath. But it's also a matter of trust. Taking a Sabbath teaches us to trust God more because for one day, we are not allowed to be productive. We're not supposed to be productive. We're supposed to be ourselves without producing anything. Did you hear what I said? You're allowed to be yourself without producing anything. And you're still you. You're still alive. The world is still spinning. The Messiah ship that we put on ourselves, I must do this in order to save the world, or at least my family, or something like this, is not true. If we can trust God with a day, then we begin to see that we can trust him with our lives. It's very similar to tithing. God has given us 100%. You can do far more with 90% that you keep and give 10% back to God than you can do with the 100% that you keep for yourself. And if you don't believe me, there are a whole bunch of people in this room who could say, that is the truth. That is the truth. I have lived that. I, 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 I can just look around. There's a lot of you who say, I live this. I do far more. My 90% goes far more than 100% ever would. Friends, it's the same with Sabbath. God is just using all of these things to say, trust me. Trust me. Don't try to do it all yourself. The control thing is a delusion. The I've got it together thing is not necessary because God provides. And God provides enough. And God provides just enough for each day. And God provides a day off too. What a beautiful thing. All these lessons at the roadside barbecue in the wilderness are designed, us, designed to teach us to trust fully in God. So how's that going? Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you challenge us with the wilderness. That you offer so much good. And that we just trust you. Thank you that even when we grumble, you continue. Thank you that you provide I pray that you will forgive me for every time that I get scared because I don't like the timing. God, we all pray that we would trust you more. Teach us through our wilderness experiences. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.